Amen. You may be seated. Um, take your Bibles. Uh, not sure how useful they're going to be this morning, which I know really sounds odd coming from a preacher, right? How useful your Bible is going to be. Really, the, the, the bulletin with the outline is going to be more helpful to you um, for this reason. Typically, we have a text of Scripture that we read, and then we teach from that text of Scripture. Today, we have 59. So you're like, I was hoping to get home early, er, today, the normal. Um, we're not going to necessarily read all 59, but I, I am going to verbalize all 59. And so you may not be able to get all of them down, um, but um, try to get as many down as you possibly can. I will make this available uh, online. So, you know, if you kind of lose track or you can't write fast enough, or you're one of those people that um, you, you're better at just listening than trying to listen and take notes, then just listen. If you're better at note-taking uh, as a way to retain, then take notes. So whatever is most comfortable for you. And then if you don't get it all, like I said, we'll make it all available online. We'll put it on Facebook. We'll put it on the church website, eurekabaptistchurch.com. Um, so you can, you'll be able to find it there as well. Uh, matter of fact, you should check out the new church website. So spent a couple of months working on it, revamping it. It's all brand new. Uh, some old material still remains on there, but a lot of new material as well. And so I encourage you to, to go there, surf around, check it out, see what you think about it. Um, any comments or uh, uh, helpful criticisms are always welcome to try to make it better. And so um, we'll, we'll put it there as well. We're in the fourth uh, core value out of five core values. So four weeks ago, we began this journey of trying to really help us to wrap our arms around our mission statement. Our mission statement is we exist to glorify God by making mature those who believe. And, and really, the big focus of our church has been uh, at least the uh, almost 13 years I've been here now, has, has been to lead people towards Christian maturity. Um, that's really the call of the church, is to make disciples, not make decisions. That's not the primary call of the church. Uh, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we do invite people to trust Christ, uh, to, as the old hymn says, uh, 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 to decide to follow Jesus. But that's not, that's not the commission given to the church. The commission given to the church is to take the gospel into the world, and as the Lord brings people into the, into the uh, family of faith, then what we do is we who are already in that family of faith, we help those who come in, as the Bible says, they are babes in Christ, to grow up into the fullness of Christian maturity. And so that's, that's our aim. And so over the years, the question has always been, can you gauge that? Can you measure that? Um, what, what does maturity necessarily look like? And there's always just kind of been a, a generic answer that I've given, not that it's not a good answer, but it's, again, it still bears the question, what does that even look like? And that is obedience. Obedience is the greatest gauge for spiritual maturity. I mean, it's the way we... 
you know, really measure uh, maturity uh, even amongst our children. I mean, when, when your child begins to obey, you, you say about that child, that child has maturity about it. You know, uh, for a long time I helped in various athletics and, and, and training, and you, you could really tell when an athlete was really beginning to mature because they would buy into what their coaches were teaching them, what they were training them to do, and, and you would see the, the benefit of that maturation. And so maturation has always been um, uh, tied to this word obedience. But then again, obedient to what? And so we can't go into every nuance of what the Bible says when it comes to what we are to obey. And so basically uh, what I've done is try to take five core value statements and say, basically, if you did the big 30,000 foot flyover of Christianity and said, you know, what, what does Christianity impress upon its followers and its adherents uh, uh, to obey, what would it be? And I think it would be these five core values that we've been putting out in front of you. And core value number one was, do you remember, found people, find people. That we do go out into this world with a message and we, we take a message that Christ has given us to invite people to do what? To come to a feast. That's what salvation is. Salvation is nothing more than an invitation to people uh, to come to something that they don't deserve to participate in. Why? Because the king invites people, and, and he says, look, you don't have to bring a dish, uh, you don't have to buy a ticket, uh, um, you know, there's not a cover charge in order to get in. It says, to anyone and everyone, come freely and partake. That's the invitation. That's what salvation is, a, an invitation to unlimited joy, to uh, 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 an invitation to sit at the king's table, the king of the universe, and dine on the king's food. And so found people, those who experience Christ, who have been invited and, 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 and come and have tasted, now we go back out into this world and we invite more people to come and to partake of that. And then we said that uh, uh, core value number two was you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. God doesn't need our money. He owns all of our money. And if He wants it, He can take it anytime He wants it. You do realize that, right? I mean, anytime he wants to drain your bank account dry and use your resources for his, he can just do it. But that's not the way God works. God invites us uh, uh, to participate with him in the, uh, in, let's just say, the running of the universe. You know, he wants us to bring our resources in and, and to bring those resources together and then to go out into the universe to go out into the world and to leverage those resources for the glory of His name. And that's why God's given you what He's given you. And then, last week we talked about core value number four is that save people, serve people. Like, Jesus said, what did he say? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The, the earmark of any true disciple is that disciples 
imitate or reflect their teacher. That's how in, in Jesus' day, uh, people would know uh, what teacher that you sat under. Is how you taught and how you acted and what you believe reflected your teacher. And so Jesus said, I didn't come to serve, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And so he's left people here. He's brought people into this kingdom. And now he sends, he sends his ambassadors out to do what? To take his way of life into those communities. By serving other people. You know, that's what an ambassador does. An ambassador is someone who is from a foreign country who is sent to a country as a foreigner to say, hey, this is the way we do things where I'm from. Well, if you're a Christian, you're from a foreign country. Matter of fact, believe it or not, your beliefs are foreign to the beliefs of the world even to the belief of most Americans, even should be different than the belief of what most people call Christianity in America. And so we, we are on a mission. We are sent with a different set of values, with a, with a, with a different mindset. And, and, and our mindset is we're not here to get, we're here to give. We're not here to accumulate, we're here to disperse. We're not here for people to bend their knee to us. We're here to bend our knee to other people. And so today we come to core value number four. Core value number four is you can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. And boy, for about a year now, we've pretty much been forced to some degree to do life alone. Right? We've been forced into isolation and social distancing and all kinds of uh, laws that keep us apart. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying any, anything derogatory about that, and I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying to say that, that I'm sometime, you know, somehow against everything we've been asked to do. I'm just stating the fact that we have been separated for some time. And I, and, I, and I really believe that something that's happened for a lot of people during that time is that they've realized they don't do well by themselves. They don't do well in isolation. Even if they're isolated with another person, that, that, that just, just having one other person sometimes, you, you still don't do all that well. You were, you were really made for something more. Even myself, who, you know, who by proclamation, I, you know, I, I claim to be a recluse. I mean, I, I, I claim that I can do really well all by myself, that I don't need other people to, to be happy, and I don't have to be around other people to, for life to be great. None of us do well alone. Even those of us that would rather be alone. We still don't do well alone. We don't thrive. We don't, we don't grow. We don't mature alone. And so the Bible tells us 
59 times to do something with one another. 59 times it tells us to do something with one another. Now, Pastor Ray Ortland, who was the former pastor at Emmanuel, Nash, uh, Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, who has become just uh, a favorite of mine over the years, I started listening to him preach uh, probably a decade or more ago, said this in a sermon that I heard probably seven or eight years ago. And so I just want to open today with something that he said from a sermon. He writes in this sermon, or he said in this sermon, the kind of God we really believe in is revealed in how we treat one another. If you can't say amen, say ouch. The lovely gospel of Jesus positions us to treat one another like royalty, and every non-gospel position, every non-gospel positions us to treat each other like dirt. But we will follow through horizontally on whatever we believe vertically. Ray then goes on to identify the one, the one another's he could not find in the New Testament. Now listen to this, I love this. He says, these are the one another's that you won't find in the Bible. Now these are the one another's that we know, but they're not in the Bible. These are the one another's that we practice, but they're not in the Bible. Sanctify one another. That's not in the Bible. That's God's job. His job is the job of sanctification. Humble one another. Scrutinize one another. Pressure one another. Embarrass one another. Corner one another. Interrupt one another. Defeat one another. Sacrifice one another. Shame one another. Judge one another. Run one another's lives. That's my favorite. There's some people that really try to excel, and that's like their favorite one another. Run somebody else's life. I always find it interesting that people that want to run somebody else's life have not stopped long enough to consider that their life isn't all that great. That's what's always amazing to me about people that want to run somebody else's life. It assumes that their life is perfectly in order, therefore that makes them qualified to run somebody else's life. Confess one another's sins. That's called prayer request in the Baptist church. Now, I just want y'all to be praying for old... Y'all know, know that prayer request, right? We don't confess our sins, but... Hey, we got no problem confessing somebody else's sins. Intensify one another's sufferings. And then his last one, not really, this is where I'm going to stop. <laughs> He's got a bunch more. Point out one another's failings. That one we have down pat. You know, I was taught a long time ago as a kid, I, and, and I won't ever forget this, is that when you're pointing out somebody else's faults, there's always 
three fingers pointing back at you. The primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. But what are these one another's? All right, you got your pen, you got your pen or your pencil ready, or you're just going to listen. If you're going to try to write down here, that some of these will be on the screen and some of these will not, just for the sake of time. Okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm only going to put one verse for each of the unique ones, and then some of them have multiple verses. So let's start. Mark 9:50 says this: Salt is good, but if but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be? How how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with, here it is, be at peace with one another. You know what peace means? It means to be reconciled to each other. It means to lay aside your differences and come together. Do you know how we do that as Christians? We do that through Jesus. We do that through Jesus. He, he makes peace through his life. John 13, 14 says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, there, there used to be churches, and still some do, that practice have foot washing services every so often. I think that's kind of missing somewhat, the idea there. But the idea is that we serve one another, that we, we do the most humiliating, mundane task there is. And there was, and I shouldn't say humiliating, but, hum, but, but an activity that, is, uh, that humbles us. Because nothing was more humbling, nothing was lower on the totem pole than the servant that was designated to wash people's feet. And yet Jesus girded himself with a towel and washed the disciples' feet. We preached a sermon on that years ago. Some of y'all still got the pen. I noticed maybe we don't wear it as much as we probably should, called Basin Theology, where if you want to really be a servant, you've got to, you've got to go low. You've got to go real low. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You, you also are to love one another. Now look, that command to love one another. So John 13, 34, John 13, 25, John 15, 12, John 15, 17, Romans 13, 8, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, 1 Peter 4, 8, 1 John 3, 11, 1 John 3, 23, 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 12, and 2 John 5. 14 times. 14 times Jesus says, you are to love one another. It is by far the, the, the most often used one another in the Bible. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The Bible's not against competition. It's just, it's just against the wrong type of competition. Our, our competitive nature is how do I elevate myself above someone else? And the Bible says true biblical competition is how do I elevate someone above me? Romans 12, 16. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, living in harmony with people. Seeking ways to be in unity and together with others. Not, not to be people that are looking for discord or looking for reasons to separate or to agitate or to, or to divide. Romans 14, 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling box or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Romans 15, 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's hospitality. Hospitality. Opening up everything that we have for others. Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge, and enabled to watch, instruct one another. So we, we're to teach, instruct each other. Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's also found in 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, and 1 Peter 5, 14. Four times. We're told to kiss each other. We ain't starting that today. I, 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 I will never forget the first time that I went, well, it's the only time I've been to Italy. And uh, we, we arrived there uh, with the church that we're working with. And so we get off our little bus and we're met by our brothers and sisters, uh, Italian brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think I was kissed about 30 times before it was all said and done. They are some kissing fools over in Italy. They, they, I mean, and they don't kiss you once. They kiss you on both sides of the face. They pull you up real tight. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they, they pull you in close. I mean, it is very intimate. And, 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 you know, and the first three or four kisses I got, I was just like, I don't, you know, I'm kind of standing here like this, but you kind of loosen up, you know, by the time they, the 30th person kisses you. But, um, we won't get into the depths of that, but, but there is something truly biblical uh, about that that the Scripture, again, is calling us to um, an intimacy uh, uh, with each other. It bothered the Americans. It didn't bother any of the Italians. They weren't at all bothered by, by that act. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5.15 But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's kind of the negative aspect. What happens when we do act this way towards one another? It's not pleasant. The outcome is not good. Galatians 5.26 Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now what's interesting in it, in, in, in a, few, in a minute or so, you're going to see another verse out of Hebrews that actually com commends us towards provoking one another. But here we're told not to provoke one another by becoming conceited, by envying one another. Have you noticed that the verses to the Galatians have all been about the negativity of one another? That, again, there's one another that they are doing that they should not be doing, and the negative effect it's having. 
Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means to come alongside, to, to put your shoulder underneath the load with your brother and sister. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know what that word bearing could also be translated? Long-suffering. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Is that really so hard? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't submit well, but we sure do want other people to submit to us. And I'm going to tell you what, if you can't submit to, to another person, guess what? You're probably not submitting to Christ. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, seeing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's also found in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Hebrews 3.13, and Hebrews 10.25. Encourage one another. Be a Barnabas. Hey, listen, that doesn't... There's a difference between encouragement and flattery. You encourage people with the truth. Flattery sometimes might have some truth in it, but a lot of times it's truth on steroids. It's truth embellished. It's truth taken too far. It's truth with the aim and the bent of currying favor with that person. So we don't flatter people. We do encourage people. We affirm people. First uh, Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. So we need to build people up. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So stir up people in the right direction. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Notice the judge is in capital J. Speaking of the true judge, the right judge. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4.10, as, as, as each has received a gift, use it to what? Serve one another. So you thought these gifts were all about you. You thought what God had given you gift-wise was for you, but yet it's for others. And then lastly, 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with 
humility towards one another. So out of that, out of all of that, I just want to give you three simple truths to go home on. Ready? Truth number one. The one another show us our need for intimacy, not isolation. The one another show us our need for intimacy, not isolation. Now, I choose the word intimacy over involvement to stress the heart of one anothering. I didn't say one another show us our need for involvement. That doesn't go far enough. That's our problem. That's where we stop. One anothering calls us to intimacy, which I define as into me See, I-N-T-O, into, me, M-E-C, S-I-E-E. That's intimacy. Into, me, see. Most of all, if not all, most, if not all of us, hide from true intimacy because of the fall. Adam and Eve hid from the Lord, and we continue in that same pattern today. We run from the light instead of walking into the light. Right? Adam and Eve hiding out, God finds them. Woman at the well, she's trying to hide out, the Lord finds her. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen, we have fellowship one with another. You know why so many Christians are in bondage? Do you, do you know why there's so many of our pet sins that we can't overcome? Because we refuse to walk in the light. We refuse to confess our sins to each other. Well, I confess my sins to God, Brother Jason. That's all I'm supposed to do. Did we not just read prior to that? Confess our sins one to another. Why? And pray for one another. Why? That we may be healed. James 5.16. You see, here's what happens. Here's what, the, here's what the Satan has convinced us of. That there's no freedom in the light, only shame. But I want to tell you something. If you want freedom, walk into the light. Confess your sins. I didn't say confess your sins to everybody, but confess your sins to God and to someone else. Walk in the light with another believer. Come clean about who you really are. You see, real, real fellowship is found in the light. We leave our inhumane lives and step into what it really means to be human. Now, I've said that a lot over the years. I just want to make sure you understand what I mean by... You see, sin is inhumane. That's not what human beings were created to do. We were not created to sin. That When we sin, we are living not out our humanity, but we are living inhumane lives. Jesus came in the form of human likeness, did he not? But see, Jesus was fully human because Jesus had no sin. 
And what Jesus is calling us into, he's calling us out of sin, out of our inhumanity, and he's really calling us into what, it, what it's really like to live according to his design. What it really means and feels like to experience true humanity. What it really feels like to experience true freedom. We were not made to live in isolation. Jesus did not even live in isolation. Except for three hours. The three hours where the Lord turned His back on His Son and placed the sin of the world on Christ were the only three hours that Jesus has ever spent in any kind of isolation. Ever. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always been together. Jesus came to earth. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't walk the earth alone. He walked the earth in a family, and then he walked the earth with his disciples. Paul never traveled alone. Paul didn't do life alone. No true follower of Christ, written of in Scripture, ever lived in isolation. One anothering is where we help, is where help and healing is found. It is where we are encouraged, not embarrassed. It's where we come clean without being condemned. It's where love covers a multitude of sins. And cover does not mean condone. Cover means to confront because it seeks to cure. It's where we carry. It's where we are carried and not cast out. It's where we are admonished and not attacked. One another moves us from imitating Christ's life to participating in Christ's life. Truth number two, the one, anothering, the one another shape our love by defining our actions. I told you that the majority of the one another's, 14 out of the 59, center on this, on this idea of love. Jesus said this, a new commandment in John 13, 34, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. When we look at all these one another's, what Jesus is saying to us is that this is what it means to love. This is what love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what does it tell us? It tells us that you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if you don't love, what good is it? You, you can do great spiritual acts and if you don't love what good is it you see these one another's shape love it shows us what love looks like and listen more than that it answers the 1980s hit song i want to know what love is because do you remember the line i've used this a hundred times I want you to, y'all can talk, show me. I want you to show me. And all of these one another's are doing nothing but showing people this is what true love is. Why? Because we live in a world of imitation love, false love, pseudo love, fake love. Our one anothering gives credibility to our message 
Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Here we are out trying to preach the gospel to people and they can't hear what we're saying because what we're living is so loud it simply conflicts with what we're saying. Because they're sitting there trying to figure out now how, does, now how does that work with how you live? Listen, our lifestyle will not win anyone to Christ it can only win an audience for Christ. Look, if you and I start living out the one and others, people aren't going to say, hey, tell me how I can be saved. Here's what they are going to do. They are going to say, hey, I'd like to sit down and talk to you about this Jesus that you follow. Can I have an audience with you? Can I have a conversation with you? Because I'd kind of like to know more about what makes you tick and what makes you do what you do? And then you can give them the good news. Then you can share with them the gospel. John 13, 35, the very next verse says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If, conditional statement, if you have love for one another. But don't forget what Jesus' half-brother I mean, excuse me, not half-brother, but don't forget what John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, tells us in 1 John. How can you say that you love God in whom you cannot see when you don't love your brother that you can see? Christian, we don't get to choose love. Love has chosen us. And if we are who we say we are, we will love. It will be the defining action of our life. It is the one and only word that can show to this world that we really are who we say we are. That we really are Christ. John, who wrote more about love than anybody else, as you could already see, wrote John and 1 John. This is the same John who came to Jesus with his brother James and said, Lord, those people rejected you. Can we have our Elijah moment and call fire down and eliminate the city? John, the son of thunder, becomes John the son of love. Now, how did that happen? I think, it's ha I think it happened because he encountered what love really is, and, it, and he was never left the same. And when you and I encounter love in the person of Christ, and if we will encounter it over and over and over and over again, we will never be the same. Last, last truth I take away from the one another's. The one another sustain and they sanctify us. One anothering, by definition, denotes reciprocity. Do you know what that fancy word means? Reciprocity? It's the 
mutual exchange. It's a mutual exchange. Spiritual growth is as much public as it is private. We will find stability and strength within our community. You're not going to grow spiritually. You, I mean, you can grow to a certain degree, but you will never flourish and you will never grow to the level that the Scripture commands you to grow outside of community. The, a private devotional life is not sufficient enough. Our private devotion with the Lord must be balanced by our public devotion with the Lord's people. You know, I, I talk about, you know, the one another's allow us to participate in the life of Christ. And sometimes that may seem to be a strange statement to you. But Jesus is saying, love others as I have loved you. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. Jesus is saying, here's all the stuff that I've done. Now I want you to do this to other people. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you do this, you literally enter, you're not, you move beyond imitating me to now you are literally participating in my life. Now you know what it feels to forgive. Because you've forgiven somebody else. You, you know everything that it takes to go through to forgive that person. And it still pales into comparison what I went through to forgive you. Now you know what it really feels like to love somebody. And yet it still, and yet it still pales into comparison to what I went through to love you. You see, what Jesus wants us to do is to taste what, it, what the divine life really is like. And we taste that by doing exactly what he did for his disciples and to his disciples. You see, one another creates a spiritual energy that provokes and carries us. It, it builds us up. These one another's build us up. Madonna, the great theologian, Madonna. Everybody loves Madonna, right? She said this after the Paris massacre several years ago. Just to, it just goes to show you that ungodly people can sometimes have godly thoughts. And it just goes to show that everybody's an image bearer of God. She said this, the way, we, the way we change the world is that we change the way we treat one another on a daily basis. Hmm. We must start treating every human being with dignity and respect. Listen, Christians are not called to change the world. We have been called to convey a message through our words and our witness. But I believe Madonna is right. If we want to see people come to faith in Christ, if we want to have an impact in the world in which we live, if we want our message to get through to people, and we want people to at least to be able to hear our message, listen, it is going to happen through our witness, and our witness is, is the one another's. Jesus said, they'll know that you are my disciples and how you do these one another's with each other. 
I'm closing. Jesus one another to his disciples, and now his spirit lives in us. He one another's us through one another. When we enter into the world of one another's, we enter a world that our suspicions always hope for. You know, bullying has become a really big thing in our world today, right? I mean, just kids, just social media in various ways, you know. I mean, swirlies used to be the way we bullied people back in the day. Not that I did that or anything, nor was I, nor did I ever get a swirly. I mean, I've heard about them, but you know, people have always, musicians have written songs about what about a world where none of that existed, right? What about a world where love really ruled and dominated? Well, we're not ever going to have that world, okay? It's not, it's not, not going to exist right now. It's not going to exist till Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom here. But listen, the kingdom of God lives with inside of you. And wherever you go, you can take the kingdom of God with you. And we can show people through our lives. You know what? There really will be a world that will exist one day that all of our suspicions have hoped for. It really is a reality. And here's a little taste of it. Here's just a little taste of it. But let me say this. This world of one another's, it's not a world free of friction, but a world free to live, where we're free to live not for our own interest, but for the interest of others. Not a world free from cross-bearing, but one in which bearing our cross means to become fully human again. Our first parents denied the Lord at the tree, right? Where were they? Took that fruit at a tree. The second Adam, Jesus, triumphed where? On a tree. Let us not repeat the sin of Adam and Eve, our first parents. Let us go on daily to repeat the triumph of our Savior by picking up our tree daily and following Him. And we pick it up by loving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, provoking one another, one another to love and good works. Everything that we just read today, that's, that's where we pick up our cross and we put others ahead of ourselves. And where we say, you know what? I'm not going to live for me. Because that's not the way Christ lived for me. He lived for me. Therefore, I'm going to live for others. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to be tested. But you know what, David? The only way you get a testimony is you got to go through a test. Every testimony is predicated on a test. 
But what you and I have to remind ourselves in the midst of that is that no matter how hard and how difficult, and, and at times you're going to have to fight against that inner flesh voice that's going to say, this stinks, nobody cares about you, you're putting everybody else ahead of, your, of you, and nobody's putting you ahead of them, and you're doing all this for everybody else, and nobody's doing anything for you, and there is going to be this incredible warfare that is going to exist. But listen, whoever wins the war wins the day. And what you need to tell that little voice is this, that voice of the flesh, you've already been defeated. You tried to convince my Savior that putting himself above everybody else was the way to go. And yet he said to his Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in doing so, he lived the most glorious, human, joy-filled life that's ever been lived, though they crucified him. And so what voice are you going to believe? Are you going to, be the, are you going to believe the voice of the flesh and the voice of the enemy? Or are you going to believe the voice of Scripture that says, here's the way, walk in it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need a one-another church because we live in a world that we keep preaching to and preaching at and we keep sharing with and we keep inundating with our message. And yes, it's a message that must be heard. It is a message that without it, no one can be saved. But your word clearly teaches us that our words need works with them. That our message must be validated by our lives. And so, Father, right now, I pray that we all who claim your name, who claim to be Christians, would sense your Spirit stirring in our hearts, calling us, saying, come on, this is the way. Walk in it. This is where true life is found. This is, this is where you enter into the full humanity. This is where you leave the old life behind and, and really enter into everything that God promised His children. And then, Father, if there's one or two or three here or watching online that have, that have never trusted you, they've, they've, they've just never said, Lord Jesus... I am a sinner. I'm religious. I try to do good things. I, I try to put other people ahead of myself. But, but in reality, I just don't know you. And everything that I've tried has failed. And so this morning, I confess my sin to you. I ask that you would forgive me. For you are the only one who can forgive sin. And I put my trust in you as my Savior. Father, I just pray that you would give whoever is in need of those words, those words to say and to cry out from the depths of their soul this morning to you. 
And then for your people, may we cry out this morning, Lord, make me a one-anothering person. More and more every day. So that you might be glorified and others might know you and others might have an opportunity to come to know you and others might have an opportunity to, 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 to hear your gospel. Lord, help my life to match my message. So Father, in these next moments, do what only you can do in hearts and lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you, be, would you stand and sing with us? Our altars are open. If you want to come and pray, I will be standing down front if you need prayer or spiritual counseling. But join in with us and let's worship together in this last song.